Institute of World Mission podcast. You're listening to the show for Adventist cross-cultural mission enthusiasts. My name is Alex Ott, and together with the IWM team, we invite you to join us today. This podcast is a production of the Institute of World Mission brought to you with support of the General Conference Missions family of ministries and services. Hi there, friends. Have you ever been criticized for the fact that you are a missionary? Maybe it was a significant other, a parent or another close friend or relative, which of course makes it more painful. Or perhaps you made a new acquaintance while back home on a leave, and as usual in these moments, people ask you what you do. Once you explained, you may have gotten an unwelcome or a very puzzled look on the person's face. I remember a recent conversation I had with my online language teacher. After several lessons, he asked me directly whether missionary service is something good in the 21st century. In our interview today with Wagner Kuhn, we explore how to answer such critics. Wagner is the head of the World Missions Department at Anders University. Many of you may know him, and he has already made an appearance on our podcast. I'll talk about it after the interview. With that, let's get straight to the interview. Wagner, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Very good. I'm happy to be here. Yes, and in fact, uh, you probably could welcome me because we are sitting right in your office. You are the chair of World Mission Department at Andrews University. So thank you for making yourself available for this. Thank you for coming to visit us. It's nice to have a visitor and we enjoy uh, especially nice weather today in southwest Michigan. Yes, we are at the moment uh, are involved in our summer session of the Institute uh, of World Mission, Mission Institute. Uh, so that is a program for missionaries and it's going on at the moment. Wagner, thank you. We've agreed to, uh, to actually discuss a very interesting topic today. And for those of us who are involved in cross-cultural missions, we often have to deal with people, organizations, institutions, more representatives of those, people from the governments, um, who not only criticize the idea of missions and missionaries, but often take active steps to eradicate it completely. They, they don't believe it's legitimate. And they bring different reasons, philosophical and otherwise, to, uh, to criticize the the idea of missions. So with your help today, I will try to find answers to some of this criticism voice. And the first type of critique or criticism that I wanted to bring to you is, is this. Missionaries are destroyers of culture because they advocate the change of traditional beliefs and practices that are unbiblical. How do we deal with this argument? Is it true? Is it not? What do we answer? Our Missionaries, destroyers of culture? I would say absolutely not. Sometimes a missionary needs to tackle with a practice that is against life, that, is, that destroys life. Mm -hmm. And these practices uh, are very much ingrained in, in the local culture, you know, the larger culture, a country's culture, or a continent culture. So whatever is against life, uh, is also against a appropriate culture. 
a culture that supports living, people living together, growing together, uh, developing themselves, you know, getting their abilities that God can give to each one to be uh, fully realized and so forth and so on. So I would, I would hesitate to, to level missionaries with destroyers of, of culture uh, in the sense that, for example, culture is the product of uh, people's interactions with each other. You know, in the arts, in the music, architecture, engineering, medicine, you know, uh, uh, anything that is to promote life, anything that is an expression of a people's group, uh, it's part of culture. So in that sense, no, missionaries are not uh, there to destroy uh, culture. They are to enhance life. And sometimes, you know, missionaries have to call governments have to call communities, have to call people into responsible actions towards supporting life, supporting what is beautiful, supporting what is God's given, supporting, you know, the preservation of the environment, supporting the preservation of life. Um, whatever destroys life, sometimes cultural practices destroys life. In that sense, missionaries are come to restore good cultural practices that is supportive of life, supportive of good relationships. For example, if you say that uh, uh, missionaries are against uh, culture in the sense that, you know, missionaries, for example, are against uh, uh, killings, you know, sometimes killing can be very cultural. You know, you like have, honor killings yeah. in the Middle East or burning of widows in India and so forth. Some of those practices are less prevalent and but still are uh, practiced. Exactly. For example, uh, missionaries could be in the fore, forefront of taking care of the environment. And it could be that in a certain uh, group of people in a certain uh, country, people don't care much about uh, garbage, for example, about plastic, you know, and the abundance of all of this that destroys life is suffocating the planet. So that would be something that missionaries can take over as well. But I'm, let me be more directly. For example, uh, if you have a, a famine in a place, uh, you want to bring food, you want to bring intervention, you want to bring something that preserves life, is that, you know, destroying culture? Just because we don't want to touch anything, we want to live the way it is, we want to, to leave people, you know, living their normal thing, even if they cannot cope with whatever is destroying, you know, the environment, you know, through famine, you know, the lack of crops producing uh, abundantly and so forth and so on. So I would uh, argue in favor of, uh, of the missionary who is uh, intentionally trying to preserve life and to restore people to an closer to the original plan of God which is for us to have life and life abundantly. really appreciate this uh, emphasis on um, missions activity being pro-life. Um, everything we do in training missionaries at the Institute of World Mission, uh, in the different departments at different universities, uh, mission departments, is uh, to help uh, cross-cultural missionaries understand the value of the local culture, faithfully contextualize for the local culture, um, just uh, kind of adapt as much as possible and yet uplift the gospel and, and, and portray the gospel in the local terms. Um, th the problem sometimes is when missionaries don't want to do any of this and just come and try to impose 
say their home culture on the local people it's not that they're destroying it but i think they're less sensitive than to uh to to some of those best practices and this is where some of this criticism is 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 more pre uh, is more relevant to them in other places oh yes uh, you are you are so right you know but uh, always a missionary is a guest as well and mm -hmm. he comes you know and i i hope you know most missionaries or many of them would come to stay a long time not only as a guest but to be part of the life of the community and in that sense you know they would of course respect the local culture respect the local practices and and governments and so forth and, and work alongside as partners you know uh, in providing solutions for the problems uh, that are uh, in need of, of help locally but also of uplifting there is a uniqueness on the call of a missionary which is to represent as ambassadors of Christ especially for, for, let's say, for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You know, we have a unique calling. We, we see it as a unique calling, you know, to restore some biblical, very unique truth of, of the Bible uh, so that we would go back to the Bible, we would see the revelation of God. And that revelation, you know, it's supposed, we believe, it's supposed to be communicated, to be passed on, and people can uh, have better lives for that. And we strongly believe in God's will, God's revelation, God's knowledge to be passed on. Uh, Excellent. So, uh, Wagner, uh, there's several types of criticism I wanted to uh, uh, to throw your way, you know, throw right. at you. So oh, let's man. let's shift gears. Let's look at another one, and here it goes. Religious pluralism, okay, pluralism, religious pluralism asserts that every religion offers an equally valid spiritual pathway. In this view, Christian mission is arrogant and bigoted. Followers of other religions should be left alone in their chosen pathway. In this era of postmodernity that we live in, um, this critique finds strong traction among many people. This is what they say. They say, how come you are imposing your way on us? Our way is just as relevant as yours, so you do what you're doing and let us do what we're doing. You are bigoted, you are arrogant by doing what you're trying to do. How do we respond to that? This is serious, you know. This calls for wisdom, and, and for, for wisdom that is from above, uh, biblical wisdom. Uh, how we portray, how do we communicate uh, a set of truths that we believe as truthful in a way that is respectful, in a way that uh, offers something uh, invites people to accept, you know. Let me, for example, introduce you Jesus Christ. Please consider Jesus Christ. I'm not imposing. I'm not trying to smash you with this idea that you can abandon anything that you believe. I want you to consider seriously the possibility. Uh, so, the idea of pluralism begs a question. What is true? Where do you put your trust? What is the source or the data in which you base your decisions? So if I can offer you a, a source that is more reliable, for example, the revelation of God in the Bible, mm -hmm. we strongly believe that is very reliable, the Word of God. But it, is, it can be communicated, can be expressed in, uh, with uh, respect, with wisdom with insight, asking questions, 
asking people to, to tell you what is happening in their lives and then offering, perhaps offering them very clearly an option. Would you consider, please, Jesus Christ? Life is short. You know, people are full of crises, are full of problems. Uh, statistically, you know, one of one of one die. One of one will die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, statistically. Yeah, Sooner or, or later, everyone will die. So what do you believe? What is after? The, the hereafter, you know. Uh, so... If you have a better explanation than the Word of God, than the revelation there is, you know, openly uh, available for everyone, then fine, let's dialogue. The issue is, do we do with respect? Do we do with uh, wisdom? Do we do it in a winsome way that, we, do we really, do missionaries really care for the good of the other? You know? uh, the religion of Christ is the religion that is for the good of the other is the only religion where God or let's say the higher supernatural being you know the gods they come down God in Christ comes down to rescue humanity other religions you have to go up you have to make a lot of efforts to please the gods you know to appease them otherwise they might not bless you and so forth and so on Religion is the religion of the other. Also, for example, uh, um, Alex, let's say just an example. The prayer of Jesus. Our Father's prayer, you know. The prayer goes in many ways, for example, give us this daily bread. Give us our daily bread. It's not only my bread. It's to give to everyone. The, actually, the prayer starts with our Father, which is in heaven. It's not only mine, it's the Father of everyone. So, with that in mind, you know, I do not only pray that God will forgive my sins, forgive our sins, as we for we. It's plural, it's commun communal, it's a religion of the other. You know, I'm extending forgiveness to those who transgress or, or trespass me. I love it. So, in, in that sense, uh, Alex, I'm, I'm totally sold. You know, I want to belong to Christ. I want Him to walk with me. I want to walk with Him every day. And I want to represent them, uh, Him to others so that they can see Him through me. I hope that's my desire. And... Uh, so for me, Christianity, the religion, religion of Christ, it is an excellent option. Please consider Jesus. Yeah. Now you see what what you did with the first critique when you said, "Well, um, actually, as missionaries, we're pro-life." Now what you're doing, you're basically saying, "Look, the option of following Jesus is so beautiful that you know we can we can be." proud in the positive sense of living it, sharing it, standing for it, representing it, and everybody else has a choice, and the Holy Spirit is working there. But when we make it so evident, so winsome, then people make their choices. And, so. and, and, and Alex, to complement this, for example, there is ample, you know, vast research in the medical field, in the psychology field, and psychiatric field, that uh, whenever you help others, 
you know, you extend yourself in the service of others. You know, that helps you. That's freeing. That is healing. That is giving. And giving is actually very good for your health. Yeah. <laughs> your mind. So we should that's, be, that's a good bonus. Yeah, we should be very proud, you know, to be Christians and to wisely extend this possibility to other people. Here's another critique. Here's another hard question. Ooh, All of these are hard, huh? Please. So here's another one. Truth, morality, and ethics are seen as matters of personal and cultural perspective. It's a little bit like the one before, but it's not about religion. It's, it's, about, it's about everything else. The concept of universal truth on the Bible is unacceptable. That's a lot of people are saying today. And like I said, it has some overtones with the previous one. Um, how do we respond to, uh, to uh, this particular stance? My take on this will be very simplistic. Maybe I'm off the line. But uh, if you look around, if you travel, the places where we respect the commandment, do not kill, they thrive. They prepare themselves, they function in society, there's civic law, there's government, you know, the police works very well, there's court system, there's judges, and so forth, and so on. So do not kill. That is one of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. do, do not steal. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. These are commandments that are in the Bible very, very clearly. So my question is, if these commandments must be applied in normal community life, in order for life to be preserved, in order for communities and societies to function well, why is it difficult to believe that this is a universal truth? That this truth can be applied, uh, applied to everywhere. So... Um, Again, you know, I go back to Revelation, to the source of what we believe. If this truth, it is only a personal truth. It cannot be lived out in public life. So why is this important? How do we preserve life? If tomorrow I walk out of my office and I decided to do something that is totally against uh, these biblical principles... And then people will charge me with uh, civil offense. But those same civil offenses are prescribed in the Bible. Do not do this, do not do that, do not do that. You know, there are Ten Commandments. So in a sense, uh, it's almost impossible to implement personal truth in community. Because, for example, in many there's, places... There's got to be some common, common rules, huh? There's got to be common rules that binds people together. For example, in many communities in the world, uh, first we have a we. We are, I am, because we are. It's not like... Group-oriented society. It's group-oriented, you know. In many places, I am because we are. First we are, therefore I am. Uh, in many places in the West, we want this uh, individual truth. We want our lives. Don't bother. Uh, I don't bother you. You don't bother me. You live your life like you want to be. And I have to live my life like I believe it to be, like the truth I know. I owe it. It's, it's mine. 
At the same time, you know, unless someone is producing wheat in a, a faraway place, you don't have bread. Unless someone is being, being very careful and saving, you don't have uh, an opportunity for, for, for development, for education. Unless there is a system of, for example, medical uh, health care, uh, an individual doesn't uh, profit from that. It's grupo, is is people together, coming together. So truth is also shared, even in economics. You know, it's truth. There is value in this money. If the money doesn't have value, if I don't believe that the money has a certain value, I'm not going to invest. Yeah. I cannot swipe my credit card if I don't believe there is credit in the bank. So we need to be careful with this issue of, of, of truth, you know, and, and individualism and that my truth is, is more important and so on. I like how you highlighted that it's probably more of a Western problem uh, than, uh, than otherwise, especially of this probably runs strong in individualistic societies um, uh, rather than group-oriented societies. Here's another one for you. Um, uh, maybe that one is uh, voiced more elsewhere. Um, people are saying the association of Christianity with war, like war and violence and genocide, like crusades, of course that is an argument that comes up in the Islamic world very often. Christianity has shown itself in crusades, or um, uh, its association with the government in Nazi Germany or Northern Ireland at a certain point in history, Rwanda, the Balkans, elsewhere, is sometimes, all of this sometimes seen as an indication that Christianity has nothing good to offer. So how do we overcome um, this very strong bias uh, that a lot of people in majority world cultures especially um, uh, hold strongly. You mentioned about war and you mentioned about Nazi and you mentioned about you know these other uh, genocides and uh, we cannot explain them in my view. You cannot explain sin. You cannot justify sin. How can you justify war and killings? Uh, in the end, we all belong to the same web of humanity. Fallen, uh, sinful, and prone to evil. There is a dark within humanity. There is a, a side of, of evil that no one can understand. And the Bible reveals that. It's very open. The Bible reveals evil and suffering and so on and so on. Where from, you know, for example, uh, on the theory of evolutionism, uh, where do you have evil explained? Where do you have sin explained? Is there a theory that accounts for suffering and sin and so forth and so on? So in my view, for example, the issue of genocide, it's because we are humans. Uh, we are all sinful. It's we think that we are better, we are selfish, we want more, we want to conquer. You know, Christians also want to have a, a, a savings. They want to have more farms and more lands. They are like everybody else. So the Mormons, so the Roman Catholics, so Muslims and Hindus, everyone. You know, look at the Chinese, for example. It's an empire that is growing on and on and on. And this is... Uh, uh, 
it's not a Christian country, but they want more. It's human to want more, to conquer. Some conquer through uh, war. Some conquer through um, um, capitalism, for example. Others conquer through very fundamentalist ideologies or ideologists that are very nationalistic. For example, look around the world today, nationalism being very much on the, on the high. What is nationalism? My nation is better than yours. My nation is for me, myself and I. Uh, and that accounts for war. You cannot build a nation that is only yours, period. So how do you explain it? We cannot explain. For example, Christians killed more than other groups in, uh, in Rwanda. Christianity was aligned with uh, certain regimes. They also have fears, you know, Christians also have fears, so they camouflage themselves. They don't want you to make some of them. I'm talking about individuals. This is not everyone. There, but there is always people, Christians and non-Christians, there are always pro-life. They spend all their means trying to save as many people as possible in times of war, saving refugees, saving kids, hiding them, you know, shipping them through uh, transportation means to other places just to save them. Yeah. So you always have those who have received, you know, this God's revelation on to support life, to save life. So, because that's what Christ came to do, to save so us. So when we are answering on, on this particular point, I'm just drawing from what you said. Um, we, 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 could, we could basically show to people questioning us by saying, look, uh, Christianity in general, whenever it entangles itself on a political, national level um, with, uh, with those concerns, then all, all the evil humanity that's, you know, that, that is worse than itself can, can be seen. But we as Adventists, we as ministers, we don't believe in that. We believe we should be serving people. We believe we should, we should be warning people. We believe we should be bringing the good news. We, should, we believe that we should be helping people. So this is, this is, this is what we do. Um, but Christianity can also be fallen, and it has shown itself fallen many times in, uh, uh, in, in history. You know, a follower of Christ does what Christ exactly. has done. So in, in that sense, you know, we try to look forward and look upward to, uh, to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And he did not do those things. Yeah. One more and last uh, critique or rather criticism that I have. This is a very interesting one. So here's what's being said. The global spread of Christianity makes sending missionaries seem unnecessary. This one, by the way, we can even hear from our brothers and sisters within our church. Christianity is already the largest world religion. Missionary service is expensive and sometimes unhealthy or dangerous, so we should not be sending missionaries. How should we answer that? Uh, why not? It's not only, you know, a mission is a two-way street. It benefits those who go, it benefits those who receive the missionaries. It's always an exchange of benefits, an exchange of grace, an exchange of, of love, of favor. Uh, and we believe it's the grace of God, is the favor of God, is, the, is what God is, is asking us to do. Uh, so I, 
I do not subscribe to this uh, issue that we do not need more people because, uh, uh, you know, there is uh, globalization taking place. There is internet and there is media and there is radio and TV and all kinds of medium uh, for the message because the command is, is still a valid command, you know, go therefore preach to all the nations go to all the world you know start in Jerusalem and Judea and then you you go to Samaria and to all the world and Jesus has not come yet people need to have this personal touch yes we can send our donations we can send our prayers we can uh, make all efforts uh, to support others who are in the front lines but uh, for those who are gifted you know they have to go because there is always an exchange of those who go and the partnerships with the home, the sending church. It benefits the, the, the local church that is sending, the local community. You know, for example, for once, there is a, a motive, a reason for them to be praying. Some people don't have any prayer life. Suddenly, their kids are going on a mission. They are praying, they are interceding, they are uh, mediators of, of, you know, following the example of Jesus. They are praying for those who are in the front line. So that, that is for one. Exchange of experiences. People often think very differently. They have different uh, ways of mapping life, of understanding life. So when a foreigner comes and starts to, to rub shoulder with you, oh, suddenly your, your world enlarges. And there your is, world be, begins to change just because of this other... Exactly. There is exchange person. of major experience, for example. I learned so much when I was in a, in a, in a country uh, in Central Asia of how people prayed, uh, how, you know, their prayers, they, it seems that they were so close to God. I listened to those prayers and that changed my life. That added onto me a dimension that I cannot explain to you. Just by listening to the way people were praying. So when you go, you, you bring a level of information, of education that can be passed on to others. You also receive from them perspectives that you would never have. So why not go? Also, there is a danger in going. Uh, sometimes we do not understand the process. How can we adapt? We do not anticipate how difficult it will be. So many people that go have a, a very difficult experience. And in that sense, that traumatizes as well the sending of missionaries. Because if one person that goes have a very negative experience and he becomes bitter, he becomes a very angry against the, the, the sending agency, against those that he entered in contact with in the front lines, and he starts to spread rumors because of, you know, a maladjustment, you know. Um, can you imagine how detrimental this is for mission? And many people... Harmful, who, very harmful. Very harmful. Many people who have had those very terrible experiences, Alex, uh, are the ones propagating this idea that there is no need for missionaries to go, you know, Christianity is spread all over. We have two billion or maybe three billion Christians in the world nowadays or more, you know, half the world's population could could count as almost like Christians and etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, it's really about 30% 30 plus percent uh, i mean the, the the actual statistics 
Exactly, you know, uh, uh, there is what, 2 billion Roman Catholics? Yeah. And then another, you know, several hundreds of other Christian denominations. So, um, Alex, this is a very difficult question to answer. But we don't have any other option other than to invite church members, to invite believers to follow Christ, go to the end of because the Because there are so many people that have not heard and will have no other way to hear unless someone will come and be among them. You just answered it even better, you know. If we don't go, how can they hear? Wagner, thank you so very much. We've used up all of our time that we that we had. We looked at five critiques, five criticism uh, aspects that really uh, sometimes um, make it hard for us, make life hard for us as missionaries, and uh, responding is sometimes difficult. Thank you for the insight and uh, and help. And until next time. Well, thank you, Alex. May God uh, be with you, and may He give us all his wisdom. Thank you. To follow up, friends, both Wagner and I will be happy to continue this conversation with you. For that, simply go to iwm.adventist.org forward slash podcast forward slash episode dash 45. And leave us a comment there. We really mean it. Come on over and let's talk. Also, it was, like I mentioned in the beginning, Wagner's second appearance on the IWM podcast. We had him before, on episode number 7. The title of that was, What Does It Mean to Witness in a Professional Setting? It's still one of our most downloaded episodes. If you haven't heard it, you might as well want to do that. Now, let me also mention here that uh, our topic today was inspired in part by the recent book published by the IWM and the World Missions Department. The book is called Introduction to Adventist Mission. Let me repeat that. Introduction to Adventist Mission. It's by Gordon Doss. It's the best resource I personally know that we have in our church today on cross-cultural missions. It's great as a textbook, it's great as a personal resource on a lot of things that have to do with cross-cultural missions. If you haven't read it, it's probably time to catch up. You'll find a link to the book for sale on Amazon in the show notes. To conclude, I have a news to share, friends. Last week, two notable things happened. First, we officially opened a catalog of online courses on the IWM website. Yeah, let me repeat that. A catalog of online courses. We call it a course catalog. Find it at iwm.adventist.org forward slash course dash catalog. No spaces. Also, last week, we opened access to the Storytelling for Discipleship course with Pat Gustin. I've talked a lot about it before on previous episodes. It is now available for you. We will be thrilled to hear your feedback on this particular resource. So, this week, we already started working on a new online course. If I told you the idea behind it, most probably your attention level would immediately jump up. But let me say nothing more than the fact 
that we are actively developing our next course. It's already recorded, yes, we've, we are quite advanced with it, and will be delivered to you in a few weeks, hopefully by the end of October, beginning of November. It answers an often expressed need. Stay tuned to the next week's episode. I will actually announce what it's all about. My name is Alex Ott, and I am looking forward to seeing you next week.